couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. I love that theme song so much, I don't have the heart to tell him that he got the premise wrong. Welcome back to Wheel of Randy, everybody. Every week we discuss a couple of Randy Newman songs. First one is the pick of my guest, then we spin the wheel and talk about one at random. Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Podcast Network and is brought to you by Wade Engineering. Stay tuned after the show for a message from Wade Engineering. Spoiler alert, it's just me. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy! My guest today is someone very special in my life. Uh, She is my wife of the past 25 years. She is... um, What's the word you wanted to use to describe you? I'm a badass boss chick. Badass boss chick. (laughs) She, she is the head of, of Wade Innovation, uh, and what, what else is there to say? She's my dearest friend. Welcome to the Wheel of Randy, Suzanne Wade. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It means a lot that, uh, that we do this. Uh, if you can hear from the background music, this is kind of a, an unusual situation. You're hearing a lot of of outside noises and some crickets because uh, rather rather than being in my normal sound-controlled studio, <laughs> we are on the front porch. You make it sound like you have a sound-controlled studio. <laughs> We're trying to maintain the illusion that this is a professional operation. <laughs> I'm going to let them see behind the curtain. Mm. <laughs> But uh, our front porch during, during quarantine has been a really special time. Uh, we've got a couple of rocking chairs out here, and we've got candles and all sorts of mosquito preservation, and we've got some patio lights. And this has just been our place to come and, and unwind. And it's a big enough porch that we uh, have enough space that, that friends can come over and stay eight feet away, ten feet away, and just this porch has been a really special place for us, so I couldn't think of any place better to talk to Suzanne today. Is this a porch podcast? Well, this episode is, isn't it? <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that means, I don't yes, it is. So, Suzanne, tell, tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and... and they, they, they know how you know me, but uh, g- g- give the elevator pitch for, for, for who you are and what you do. Well, um, I, am a, I was a minister for 27 years. I was in the ministry 27 years. I was a minis- actually an official minister for 24 of those years. Um, and I'm a 20-year survivor of brain cancer, um, so I have a hole in the head. my head. I don't know what the rest of your all is excuse is, but um, I uh, started a business on my own. I've done creative problem-solving training um, and innovation training with teams and with people for a number of years. Um, even while I was still in the ministry, I did that. Um, and uh, let's see. I'm the mother of two amazing children and um, two wonderful dogs, uh, born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, so I just, I love people and I love music and I love this crazy guy. We're just here smiling at each other. <laughs> that but doesn't translate well on a podcast. <laughs> well, well, the last makes up for it. I, I, I love the laugh. I've joked before about how the laugh is what attracted me to you. Yeah, somebody one time at, a, at a, one of your comedy things tried to comment on it being a dolphin. And uh, I think that he promised me sushi that I never got. Well, we will make 
we will make good on that. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. We, we, we never forget a debt around uh, here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, just, just to give people kind of a background, I have a few music questions for you. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is a record that you love that most people have heard of already? Just so they can kind of get a feeling for what your style is. Oh, just one. Dude, that's hard. And I'm not going to give you just one. No. Okay, so when I was in high school, and it was um, my, you know, don't try to judge my age based on this because I listen to classic rock a lot, but um, when I was in high school, the album that I loved and listened to almost every day, if not every day, was Super Tramp's Breakfast in America. Um, oh, yeah. And then when I was in college, um, both They Might Be Giants Flood and uh, Joni Mitchell's Greatest Hits were ones that just sang to me. Um, and so now, um, hmm, I love the Indigo Girls, and for me to pick a single album would be insanely hard to do. Yeah, that wouldn't be fair. You, no. you can't pick no. there. So, and, but I loved the Indigo Girls in college, too. As soon as I heard them, I loved them. Um, so. You know, it's kind of crazy that, that you know, as much as we love Indigo oh. Girls, that we didn't see them live until, what, this past year. Yeah. And, and I will point out that right now I'm wearing my Bruce Springsteen uh, shirt from the last Bruce Springsteen concert I went to. Um, adore Bruce Springsteen. Um, there's a reason he's the boss. There you go. Well, I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good summary there. You gave me five or six when I asked for, for one. <laughs> that's how I work. Well, you know, that, that, is, that is called a oh. value-added answer. Oh, and Ellen Louie's greatest hits. Uh, uh, here they keep coming. Oh my gosh, see? And Edith Piaf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how you're all over the board on that. I am. That. I am. You her her, her, her mixtapes and she, oh, her, her mixtapes were, were masterpieces back in the day. But my goodness, they bounce all over <laughs> the place. Yeah, and you know, life isn't life with some Hank Williams Jr. in it. All right. And Hank Williams Sr. too. There you go. Johnny Cash. Loretta Lynn. No, well, who are well, we you, talking about tonight? <laughs> you, you seem very narrow-minded in your musical taste. I am. Yes. I am. That's. I'm narrow-minded is the way to describe me. That's how everyone talks about you when you're not around. Mm -hmm. yes. It is. Yes. Narrow-minded, mean, all those words. <laughs> all right. Next question's a little trickier. Uh-oh. Who is a musical group that you love that you wish more people knew about? Oh, probably Indigo Girls. You know what? You're probably right. I, yeah, I mean, they people our age know them to a certain degree. I but think people our age and younger. Um, but it, I think for people that are our age and older, they may never have heard of them. And they, you know, their writing is some of the best writing that's out there. Um, I, I think their songwriting... Um, and people are going to go, what the hell are you talking about when I say this? But their songwriting and the songwriting of Bruce Springsteen are insanely uh, similar in the sense that it's beautiful writing about um, the human experience, especially the human experience in America. Yeah. Um, and so, and the longing for the human experience to be better. I, but, I yeah. think for a while it was easier to... To dismiss Indigo Girls because because, because they're lesbians. <laughs> well, be, because they're lesbians, but because they came out so soon, you know, when when they hit big, it was kind of a, a an open secret, but they were like officially out by ninety three and ninety four. Well, and they were kind of seen, I think, as uh, the lesser of the groups that came out of Athens. Didn't they come out of Athens too? Yep. Um, which Okay, hello people, which group out of Athens has endured longer? <laughs> yeah. 
R.E.M. has broken I up. I love R.E.M., but, hmm. I think the B-52s are still around. Yeah, you know, and, uh, yeah. I mean, I do I do love the B-52s, too. Yes. But I, I think it was easy for people to pigeonhole them as the lesbian band. That's, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. That, that just, they got, um, and, and, you know, and that's just symbolic of, who we are in America in the sense that we like to label and put in boxes. And the more we can label, the more we can put people in boxes, the easier it is to control them. And the less threatening they are to our views and um, our perspectives on the world. Did yep. I mention I was in the ministry for 27 years? Well, you have the luxury of, I don't know if you're in 20 different boxes or if you've broken them all, but... Oh, it, oh it it's so much fun to up. watch somebody try to put me in a box. It <laughs> is so much fun. I love it when somebody tries to do that, um, especially like on Facebook or something. Um, and I can just say, ha, 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 you think I'm in that box, but let me tell you about this part of me. And the great thing about it is generally when you do that, or at least for me when I do it and the way that I do it, I wind up maybe making a friend out of somebody that I know. And if they get angrier, then I know you're a person I don't want any more deal with. <laughs> uh, I, I oh, can I tell them I got called a lesbian Episcopalian? online today by I think I just did <laughs> online today I got called a lesbian Episcopalian by somebody that then put up Trump 2020 and beyond and it's sort and of like and, and so it's sort of like um, are you advocating for him to become king because I know he's kind of advocating for it sorry I got his political there too not really no no it's that okay. kind of show good yeah, good good, good. One one thing that I, I think has been uh, you know, so, something that I admire about you. Just one thing? <laughs> yes, I'm going to just do one thing. This isn't a 12, 22 hour long show. People are trying to do this on their lunch hour. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> maybe I'll speed up the uh, recording track. <laughs> But, but the fact that, that, that it's so hard to classify you has, has always meant I've never seen a person, well, individuals maybe, but I've never seen a group of people that you don't get along with. That's true. You, you can relate to anybody where they are, and it's not, uh, it's not anything um, phony. It's not some superficial connection, but, but you really see the worth in everybody. Yeah, and you know, there's um, a few things that really have made me that way. Um, first of all, I am very solid in who I am as a person, um, and I like who I am as a person, and so I don't feel threatened um, by people being different. Um, that doesn't threaten me. Um, I, it's, it doesn't, I never feel defensive when someone is different than me or has a different view than me. Well, I, I shouldn't say never, but um, I don't tend to do that. Um, the second thing is my parents. Oh, my God. My parents are the best. Um, they really are. My dad, we always joked, you know, there's this joke about a lot of people, but that that he could talk to a fence post, but the reality is he could talk to a fence post with respect. Um, and so could my mom. I mean, they love people. They just love people through and through. And they were both, you know, raised, um, both, uh, like my, my mom's parents and my dad's mom were all people who, who really valued every person regardless of race or faith. And for, you know, my parents are late 70s, early 80s. So for their parents to have been that way is really saying something. But all of that really centers around the, the third thing and perhaps the most important thing. And that is, if you actually read the Bible, and don't just hold it up in front of a church, um, you will see that 
very early in the Bible, in the first chapter of the Bible, um, God makes it clear that every human being is created in God's image and that every human being is a child of God. And so if every human being is created in God's image and they're all a child of God, first of all, I should probably love them because they're God's children. And the other thing is they all have something to teach me about God. And sometimes, you know, I joke, sometimes there are the people that what they wind up teaching me about God is that God's love is so big that God can love even them. (laughs) (laughs) But really, those are the reasons that I, 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 you know, I just, I see the value in all people. Um, And that means even people that radically disagree with me. Um, I see them as people and... You know, there are some that I pray for them because I'm like, oh, you are so far off course right now. <laughs> but, um, well, that's I don't just pray for you when you're far off course. <laughs> don't, don't hear that, but, yeah. You know, w- w- with us growing up in the 80s, and there was, was so much of an attitude in the 80s in the church. Oh, God. Don't get me started. Of, <laughs> of us and them. You know, whether it was the satanic panic that was going on or the, the, this idea of, uh, you know, the, the boogeyman atheist. See, yeah. I think you got exposed to that more than I did because of my parents and because I wasn't in Alabama. I was in Oklahoma, you know. And I'm not saying that your parents were... Um, less, you know, I'm not no, saying No, they anything. were fair-minded people. They were very fair-minded people, but um, it's just that, like, uh, my, um, the example that I saw from my parents and the diversity of their friends and just interacting in so many different ways, and I can't think of, like, you know, when we were growing up, um, you know, the, just the variety of people um, that that we got to be around, the variety of, like, celebrations and things that we would go to. Um, and also, um, all through youth, I did not go to Sunday school <laughs> because it was crap. <laughs> and so I just went to church. Um you know, I had confirmation, and were, I... Were you one of those kids that got kicked out of Sunday school for asking the wrong questions? No. Well, a little. <laughs> um, I asked the really hard questions in confirmation. Confirmation is where I actually felt my call to God, um, to, to God, my call to the ministry the first time. And I loved confirmation because you could ask all the questions, and you got to talk about all these things, and everybody got to share, and it was so exciting. And then I got to youth group, and it was, like, uh, so clicky. Yeah. And fake. And, you know, it was just, oh, the youth pastor that wanted to be your friend. I'm here to be your friend. And I'm like... Let me guess. He played a guitar. Yes, he did. There we go. <laughs> Have guitar, will travel. Good hair. Uh, I can't even remember. I remember the guitar, and I remember that. And, you know, I tried to talk to people who were in the church at that time about him, and, and they just didn't ever have that same impression. Of course, they were people who were parents during that time and not youth, but it was just like, you know, I get enough of this other places. I don't need a friend when I come to church. What I need is to be able to engage in dialogue. And so, um, in my ministry, like, I worked really hard, even with little kids, to help them engage in dialogue um, and to teach them how to do that and to teach them to be critical thinkers even before, developmentally, they're supposed to be critical thinkers. So, that's, I don't think I got into that stuff as much. Now, I do know that my parents got torqued and stopped going to Sunday school like the third time that the Sunday school class had a lesson on cults. Oh, god! And my parents that were just like, Cults no. were huge. Oh, the fear of cults were yeah, huge. Cults no, were not huge. Cults were not huge. You know, cults were bigger in the 90s when you had like David Koresh, an asshole, 
no matter what a new TV show tries to tell you about that pedophile molester. Sorry. Uh, you were fine until you said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting but, but yeah, topic. I, there was all of this us and them stuff, and you know. Well, and you know what? That us and them stuff, though, is it sounds like S and M when we say us and them. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> the us and the them stuff dates back to the early church. Um, it, that's the first time it starts. Um, there wouldn't have been a reason for Paul to write what he wrote in Galatians, that there is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor uh, Greek, there is neither slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus, if that wasn't a problem. You know? Yeah. There were, the Jewish Christians looked at the Greek Christians and saw them as lesser. The Greek Christians looked at the Jewish Christians and said they killed Jesus, and all of this crap that happened, it happens at the very beginning because there is something in human nature that we want to be better than someone else. And, you know, I think that's a big part of the reason that people don't get along is you want to be able to think, I'm better than them. And you're not better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody. You know, I may, I may um, be able to communicate uh, more well, now I can't say that. See, I started... More goodly. <laughs> more goodly, yes. <laughs> I may be able to communicate things better. Um, I might be uh, more intellectual. Um, I, I might be... I don't know. I can, there are adjectives that, that maybe we can be more than. But when you say, I am better than another person, I am better than that person, that's just pride. And that's a sinful thought to have. Yep. And I know everybody's going to think Donald Trump's going to come into their mind. And um, the reality is, God bless his heart, I truly believe that Donald Trump is a narcissist. And, you know, it may be that his brain was just born that way. Um, and I can't judge. I, it just terrifies me. He has the power that he has. Um, but I, I can't really say I'm better. Am I a kinder person? Yes. Am I a smarter person? Yes. Am I, you know, all of these other things, do I live my, wife, my life in a godlier way? Yes. He doesn't quite know what that is, I don't think. Um, since, again, churches and Bibles are props for him. <laughs> that was a very long answer to... <laughs> Indigo Girls is where we went with that. But I'm, well, the Indigo Girls would appreciate that answer, I think. Yes, they're, they're fans of this show, so they'll be thrilled. I know. All right, next question. Hey, Amy. Hey, Emily. I love you. Hey, Emily. Hey, Amy. I, I pick Emily first because I'm an uh, Emily guy. <laughs> I just went alphabetically. Uh, sure you did. I did. Next question. Yes. What is a movie soundtrack you enjoy? Oh, the Mission. I love The Mission. I love that soundtrack. Um, it takes you on a journey. Like, you don't have to see the movie The Mission, which, honestly, if you haven't seen it, you have to see the movie The Mission. Yes. It is stop, great. Stop this podcast and go, and go watch, watch The, the mission. mission. And we'll see you in three, well, you can come back to us in three hours. Yep. Um, but no, um, if you just listen to the soundtrack, it takes you on the same emotional journey that the movie does. And I love that about it. Um, the, the Morricone did, you know, he did all of the spaghetti westerns and then the mission was what? Early 80s, mid 80s? I have no idea because it was in the 90s when I watched it. So And and the, the, the crazy thing is that Morricone did not get an Oscar until uh, The Hateful Eight. Well, I'm glad he got one finally because yeah. he sure as hell deserved one for the mission. I cannot think of a better soundtrack. Um, now, there are soundtrack compilations of songs that I like those, like, you know, where they have songs of the eras, you know, like I love Good Morning Vietnam and all the songs that are on there. Forrest Gump is a great one. Um, 
But those are nice. I mean, basically, it's just other people's songs on there. So as far as a soundtrack, a true soundtrack, the mission. Yeah. Live music. Yes? No? Yes. Very much yes. Right now? Okay, obviously okay, not right, right now. Right now, no. But yes, I love live music. Um, is it the crowd? Is it the, the noise? What is it about it? I think it's a whole bunch of things. Um, when I was a little kid, there was a pizza place in town, and it was called Shotgun Sam's. And um, we used to go there, like, for fancy nights out <laughs> when I was a little kid. And so... <laughs> You're a real high-brow family. Yeah, <laughs> you know, El Chico and Shotgun Sam's were, you know, our big nights out. And so, um, but there was a couple, and gosh... I cannot get their name right now. But anyway, this couple would, like, do live music at Shotgun Sam's. And there was, like, a little dance floor. Generally, it wasn't like people went there to go boot scooting or anything. But there was a little dance floor that I can remember. It was probably very small. I was a small child, um, so it seemed really big to me. But when we were there, I don't know how many times it happened, but I know it happened at least once, and I was so excited. They had me come up and play tambourine on stage. <laughs> I was a precocious child. I know that's hard for people to believe that know me. Um, but, yeah, and probably my brother and sister were horribly mortified when it happened. They're both older than me, <laughs> so I don't know. Well, that's but, just a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I've been making their life oh so much better for all these years. But no, and so it was just it's just that experience of being part of the music. Um, and I think even when you even when you're at a concert, you know, like um, you know, you're still part of the music. Like my favorite album from the Kinks is the Kinks Live. Um, because oh, they yeah, play yeah. First of all, they play their best stuff, and second of all, um, they you, the response of the crowd and the crowd joining in the singing, it is just such a high. So I think that that is what I love about it. Um, and then okay. we're gonna take a quick plane break. Oh, we're taking a plane, plane break. break. <laughs> that was a really loud plane. We are, we are right over the Will Rogers flight path. Okay. And we're, we're back. back. All right. So, um, anyway. We're going to keep all that in, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to sing the plane break song. Okay, good. I hope there aren't many planes because we can't do that every time. So, yeah, that, 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 that Kinks Live album, I, it's, that uh, was, when you played that for me, that was probably my first real exposure to them. And so, which is so sad. Well, <laughs> and, and so when when I finally listened to Arthur, and it started with Victoria, you know, the Victoria on that live album, I, they're just playing out of their minds. They are. And then you play the studio version, and and it's this this super mellow song about Queen Victoria. Yeah, and if you have ever if you've ever been lucky enough. To go to a Bruce Springsteen concert, you know that the boss and his ability to have a concert is epic. I mean, there is nothing like it. My guess is that, I mean, I've heard from people who have been to Garth Brooks concerts that it's that same kind of experience. But Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, they just leave it all on the stage, every ounce that is in their body that night, they leave on the stage. Yeah. And it is so much fun. Um, it is just so much fun. Very good. All right. Well, let's talk a little Randy. Yay, Randy. What? I love listening to you play Randy Newman on the piano. That is my favorite way to listen to Randy Newman. Not that Randy Newman's not great. He's great, but... Well, you know, pl pl playing it is... You know, it, it, it's something I enjoy doing, so it, it, it makes a lot of difference to know that someone is listening and appreciating that. All right, so what song did you bring to the show today for us to talk about? Um, feels Like Home. Oh, 
I kind of guessed that was <laughs> what you were going with. Um. Oops, Suzanne and I just jumped right into the song. Uh, you're not familiar with the song? Put this on a quick pause and listen to Feels Like Home. That is the last track on the album Harps and Angels. See you in a second. It's Wheel of Randy. Feels like home is is uh, one of one of the fairly new ones of his. He wrote it in the late nineties uh, for his uh, show Faust. Uh, and w- which version did you hear first? Did you hear him singing or uh, Bonnie Raitt's version? Him. I heard him singing it. Um, and there's somebody else that has recorded it, another woman that's recorded it, besides mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt. Um, that actually, if you Google it, her version is the first one that comes up. Oh, well, I'll have to check so, that out. Um, and I don't know who that is, um, because I don't remember things, because, you know, back to that whole thing, hole in the head. <laughs> um, but, no, I adore that song. And I really, I don't like it as much with a female voice as I do with a male voice and I think part of that is because um, it makes me think of you wow sorry this is the sappy part of the podcast I don't think the rest of your podcast will be this sappy well I, I, I certainly hope not <laughs> this is it's a, a level of intimacy that I, I wouldn't have with other guests yeah. I would hope not yeah. you better not that, uh, that's interesting that you like it more from a, a male singer. Um, you know that that whole second verse is 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 talking about how it, things are scary. How you know you hear a window breaking and you hear a siren, but but the singer talks about how they're all right because mm-hmm. they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be easy for for people to take that in the. Uh, Taking another plane break. Do we get to sing the song again? Go for it. Plane break. Plane we're taking break. a plane break. <laughs> okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, the, the, the the joys of recording outside. <laughs> it is nice. It feels really nice out here. It does. You guys are missing out. But I, I think it's easy. I as a man and more of a protective instinct, it, it it's easy to interpret that song as you know she feels like home because she is you know protected by this man so it's good to know that that's not how you see it no it's not how I see it at all I when I think of you I can it makes me feel like I'm at home even when I just think of you um you know when I was traveling a lot um for writing very exciting announcement here. I used to write United Methodist Publishing House curriculum, so I wrote Sunday School curriculum, and um, I had to travel to Nashville a lot during that time, like a lot, like um, sometimes three or four times a year, which those of you that really do travel a lot are like, that's not that much, but when you go for a week and, um, you know, you have a, a kid at home and your honey at home, it it feels like a lot. But I would, as I was walking back to my hotel room at the night, that song almost invariably would come into my head. And I would just think of you guys, and I would think of how it felt to be home. And uh, you, guys, you, you guys just make me feel like I'm at home, even when I'm not. I've always had a little bit of struggle with this song. You know, I love it as, as much as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know some some of the circumstances behind the song have, have have always have always been a little unsettling. It's like when you go to a Billy Joel concert, you know, he sings just the way you are, and then at the end he says, "And then we divorced." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that, that's that, such a loser thing to say. Yeah, Let the song is. stand on its own well, without dragging her down, dude. Yeah, I know. You know, Randy has talked before about. About how, you know, you know, he 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 was struggling with his marriage as this song was going on, um, and you know, even in the show itself, even in Faust, uh, you know, 
Bonnie Raitt's character is singing this song to woo the devil. And... What the f***? Can I say f***? <laughs> sure. Because what the f***? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is... Oh, God. Okay, see, I don't need to know. All right. See, uh, uh, we've okay. talked about this before. You've forgotten. And you'll, <laughs> you'll forget again, I'm sure. Okay. But I can't wait till I forget again, because I, this I, is I guess horribly what? misogynistic and disturbing. <laughs> And that's Randy for you, everybody. Uh, yes, uh, it is. But um, that even the most misogynistic, disturbing people can create beautiful things. Again, it's back it, to it, that whole thing of treating every person as a person of sacred worth. So it's okay for us to to like this song at face value, and it's okay for us to to you know see it as as this pure expression of love. I I think so. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, like, I mentioned the, uh, my writing before, and I was a writer, I wasn't an author, um, and there's a difference between a writer and an author. An author feels like they own what they write, you know, and a writer, you write, you sign the contract, you write it, they pay you the money, and then it's theirs. And I kind of feel like with songwriters, once they put it out, once they make money off of it, it's ours. Yeah. You know, it's not oh, there. Like it's not theirs anymore. I don't give a crap what Randy Newman thinks about this song. He wrote it, and now it's ours. You know, if like if Da Vinci were to come back and say, "Listen, here's what the Mona Lisa really means and what it's all about," he would get booed out of the room. He would, wouldn't he? Yeah, because that's not important. What you see when you look at the Mona Lisa is what you bring to the table. And the reality is, I think, with songs and I think with art, um, depending on where, in your, where you are in your life, it can mean radically different things. Um, but it's not... They, they wrote it. They've been paid for it. They're getting their money from it. And it is... Now, I say that in the sense of it's not yours to just do whatever you want with, you know? Right. Um, kind of, again, back to Donald Trump, who thinks he can just take songs from anybody and play them in his rallies. Um, <laughs> you know, there's still copyright stuff that's attached to it. Um, I would have a, a horrible time if the... I mean, I would get very mad if the publishing house used something that I wrote to try to teach something really racist or really wrong. You know, yeah. again, back to Donald Trump rallies. No, but I, I think Randy would be pleased that we take the song at face value mm. and that we've gotten so much happiness from it. It's not like, um, you know, every breath you take or, or, or something where people are misunderstanding the song. Even that. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. You know, I, you know what? Sting, you can do tantric sex. Why are you stressing about that? <laughs> I've got to stress about something, I guess. Do you have a favorite line from the song? Um, why would you do that to me? <laughs> Are you going to let me look at lyrics? No. Okay. Got to do it cool. Yes, you can look at lyrics. <laughs> because, like, he knows this about me. <laughs> he knows that, like, remembering things. You remember things, you just don't remember... I the little I details where I details, am yes. making you take things literally. That's true. I am married to literal man. In case you guys don't know him well enough to know that, he is literal man. Um, actually, I can tell you what it is now that I'm seeing. It feels like I'm on my way back to where I belong. That's my favorite line. <laughs> why? Why do you? Why does that line resonate with? You? For a lot of reasons, because. Um, there is the part where it feels like I'm on my way back to where I belong does sort of um, mean that I'm, like, refocusing on, like, the people I love. But I think even more than that, um, it's also about finding, like, reclaiming the purest me and, um, and the best me. And... I am able to be the purest me and the best me um, when I'm with 
you. And so that's why it makes me think of you too. But also, I mean, there are times like when I've had like, like if you're going through uh, growing, <laughs> any kind of growing, um, the best way to grow is to grow deeper. Um, and so I really feel like um, to be on my way back to where I belong is to get more rooted into who I truly am and who I was made to be. It's hysterical to me that that she was supposed to be wooing Satan with this because if anything, that line is far more a line that talks about, you know, finding who God intended you to be from the start. Um, so that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't know how Satan would be wooed by any of that. The, the, the show closed after two showings. <laughs> it's more of a soundtrack than a take your girl to the show show. Way to go, Randy. <laughs> he worked very hard on it. Randy is one that I don't know that I'd ever want to see him live. I mean, even if he'd been at his best. Um, I think he's better in a studio. Yeah, I think you're right there. So, and there's no shame in that. One last question about this song. Has the idea of home changed for you since quarantine? Again, I don't know that it's changed. I think it's deepened. Because for me, home is not a place. Um, it is about, uh, like I was saying, about being your best self, about... Um, being with the people that bring you hope and joy um, and love. And I think if anything, what quarantine has done is just made me more committed to embracing home and embracing not as a physical place, but as a here is where I am now. And so I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to make this place that I'm in now mine. And I'm going to be my truest self in this place that I'm in now. Um, I really don't have um, a care. Like, I do not want to go backwards. I don't know anybody that really wants to go backwards. Um, I know some people who say that, that they want to get back to normal. Well, that's not a thing, because that's <laughs> the past, is what that's called. Um, it's not normal, it's the past. Um, and uh, I don't, I'm not like chomping at the bit to get to the next phase either. I mean, I would, I don't want us to be stuck in a pandemic, because that's not what I'm saying there, but we're not going to be here forever. Um, but it is where we are now. And so um, having to embrace where you are now, which is something I learned to do at a pretty damn early age, because I was 29 when I was finally diagnosed with cancer. Right. Um, but a year and a half before that, I lost my eyesight, and I didn't stop living. Um, you know, we had a toddler. I couldn't just stop living when I lost my eyesight. Um, and I just had to embrace how can I be a mom even when my vision is this limited, you know? And when I went through my year of chemotherapy, that was so hard. Um, I had to embrace what can I do now? And so, you know, Madeline, who was little, she and I would like watch TV together and I would just make that the most exciting thing in the world to do you know we would like both interact with what was on the screen or she would play in um, the next room where I could hear her I mean the two rooms are open with each other so she'd play in the next room where I could hear her and I'd talk to her the whole time she was playing um, and I couldn't get down on the floor and play with her you know I couldn't do any of that stuff but it was about how can I be the best mom that I can be now. And I was talking to a friend, um, one of our friends that came over for a porch visit this morning. She's one of my longest, dearest friends. Um, and uh, 
she, you know, was talking about this new normal. And I said, and it was just in that moment, I was like, it isn't a new normal, it's the now normal. And I think if we can just embrace every day as now and live the best now normal that we can, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. Just for the audience's sake, uh, Suzanne did regain her vision eventually. I did regain my vision. I am not still blind, but Edith Piaf got me through that blindness. Um, it was a fun blindness. <laughs> fun blindness. <laughs> because I. It I was mean, a hoot. It was a hoot. Um, I had I lost all my central vision, but I still had peripheral vision. But my right eye was stuck cross-eyed toward my nose, and my left eye was not cross-eyed, so I could see everything that was to my left and everything that was in front of me on top of each other. So it was a very surreal, kind of dolly-like experience, and I lived in a world that had two moons for, I don't know, seven or eight years. Um, even after my central vision came back, uh, my eyes were scarred enough that I saw double vision at that far of a distance. So, um, which was kind of awesome. Sometimes I miss there being two moons in the sky. At the same time, it's amazing how your brain was able to retrain your sensory processing. Oh yeah, well that was from the tumor. Yeah. Um, my, I didn't lose my eyesight from the tumor. Um, I got something else <laughs> instead. <laughs> lucky um, you. Lucky me. But, you know, being a mom in that time, um, it also meant that with Madeline as a toddler, there were two Madelines, and I was trying, always trying to figure out which Madeline is the real Madeline so I can pick her up. <laughs> okay. Now here comes the dangerous part of the show. Oh, danger. You're danger, gonna, Will Robinson. You're danger. Gonna, you're never watched spin that the show. wheel. You see the giant wheel there? We've randomized a list of Randy Newman songs. I'm making wheel sounds. Thank you. You're welcome. Maybe you've heard the song before, maybe not, but we'll give a listen together and then talk it over. Okay. Are you ready to spin the wheel? Let's spin the wheel! Alright, here goes. Give it a spin. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. And it is landed on... Please want a really racist one. <laughs> Spinning again. No, I took all the racist oh, ones Oh, yay. Off. Thank you. All right. Smart man. Easy Street. Easy Street. All right. Easy Street. It's from the same album as Feels Like Home. Oh, good. Harps and Angels. Okay. And let's pull it up and give it a listen. Okay. And legally, we cannot play this on the podcast, so... Uh, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> Bet my money on a bobtail drag all the yeah. doodah day. And we're back. All right, so, have you ever heard that song before? I had not, but that is definitely not Easy Street for Manny. No, it is not. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, why am I thinking Easy Street was in a musical? Yep, yep, that's, yeah. that's the one. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, this is a very cynical song because he's he, he's talking about this, this person who's who's suddenly rich and they're <laughs> treating him like a bit of a psychopath. Um. Although that is a similar theme to Annie. Yeah, it kind of is. It talks about how he has to. Get rid of all of his friends and get new ones, and how uh, no one's gonna say no to him over here. Good God, is that timely or what? You know, Crap. Yeah. I live in a country where money determines everything. You know, it seems like it's not even about stuff anymore. You know, it's not like you see Zuckerberg on a big. It's only about power. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Bezos, we have given all the power in the world. Um, you know, it's... Uh, for any human being to be a trillionaire is obscene. 
It's absolutely obscene. And, you know, it, that's one of the things. We live in a world that is so freaking controlled by money, and we um, depend on the benevolence of billionaires, you know? We can't get the astronauts to the International Space Station ourselves without the benevolent, well, he's not benevolent, without Elon Musk being obsessed about how he's going to escape the planet when climate change comes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, climate change, that's stupid. But when climate change destroys everything and human life is no, no longer sustainable. Sorry, happy <laughs> thought there. <laughs> Do you think money would change you? I mean, I think everyone has kind of lottery fantasies, but do you think it would change you know, how you viewed people? Do no. You think, do you think it would? No. Um, I. There are people who it hasn't. I mean, we have more money than we had when we were young. Sure. Um, we don't have a lot, but we have plenty. Do you know what I mean? Yes, we do have a lot. I'm sorry. Compared to um, the majority of the world, we, we have a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and if you have the time to watch a podcast, to watch, to listen to a podcast, and the means to listen to a podcast, on the global perspective, you have a lot too. Um, newsflash. <laughs> and, uh, but no, I don't think it would. Um, you know, it's really fascinating that that landed on this one. Before this, um, Dan and I were listening to, I don't know his last name, and I'm not going to be able to say his church, but Pastor Omar, who is a, a minister in Philadelphia, and he was talking about the new vision that needs to happen um, in order to finally push our nation to a place where we can end systemic racism. And it involved the power of money. His name was Pastor Omar Tebow. Pastor Omar Tebow. T-H-I-B-E-A-U-X. Okay. Uh, Pastor Omar Tebow, if you're listening to this, you're amazing. Keep preaching. Um, um, you'd be so lucky if you were to listen to this. Um, but hey, I... this is going to be huge. Yeah, I think it'll especially be huge among the black community since it's all about Randy Newman. <laughs> You're cute. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, his point was that, you know, we, we have to force change um, through economic protest um, and how that there needs to be, you know, a list of, um, though the the companies and businesses that are um, supportive of Black Lives Matter, that are supportive of equality, and those that aren't, um, and like the companies and businesses that are supportive of Trump, and those kind of things, and then boycotts. You know, I mean, to just refuse to do business with those that um, are not good. Um, if anybody knows this about me, they know that um, I will not shop in a Walmart. I just won't because the Walton family is horrific. Um, they just really are. And they mistreat their employees, you know, and they try, I love it how they're doing all these commercials right now where they're celebrating their employees and they're like celebrating them as, oh, our brave frontline workers. Well, then pay them, you know? If you're going to call them a frontline worker, guess what? Police officers make about $60,000 a year. How about you pay your employees that? Uh, you have the money to do it. Um, same thing with Jeff Bezos and Amazon, you know? these Amazon commercials. Are you kidding me? You're talking about people that you won't even bother to protect as if they're heroes? You don't treat them like heroes. You take advantage of them. You know, so I think that Easy Street song, the fact that there are a lot of people that are changed. Well, I don't know that they're changed by money. I think money may intensify whatever your commitment is to the world. I think about, not naming names, but I think about your first employer, who was very affluent oh. man, and he, his house is smaller than ours, and it was a modest, modest house. Okay. I, was the, I was a Methodist minister, is the kind of minister that I was, so um, 
<sighs> I was going to say that that's the good kind, but we Methodists are freaking problematic. Um, we have been on the wrong side of history a lot of times. Um, you know, but I will say this. John Wesley was on the right side of history. And John always lived when he like was young and he was making his initial salary. Um, he figured out how much he could live off of and then he would get the rest away. He became much wealthier as he got older, but he always lived on that initial amount of what he figured out that he could live on, and then he gave the rest away. Um, and I think that's such a great model. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that if you have whatever your, your core um, is, you know, whatever it is that you really, like the principle that is just like so centered to your life, um, I think having more money allows you to be more, to, to live out that principle more. Um, now I say that and recognize that there are some people for whom money changes them, but I think those are people who their deepest longing was for money all along, yeah. you know? Um, so I don't know that it actually changes them. Um, money, uh, money is power though. Um, and when you have money, you have the power. So it's the power to do good or it's the power to do bad. Um, but money, it, gosh, there's just so much there. Sorry. All right. Yeah, that was great. Okay, next. I say sorry a lot. I should not do that. You've been pretty good about it. Only a couple of times. Though, okay. Don't apologize for your feelings, people. There you go. Especially women that are listening. Will women listen to this? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. All right. So, men listening, tell the women in your life to not apologize for their feelings. And don't expect them to. And if they get upset with you, don't say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Oh. That should get you kicked in the nuts every oh, time. Oh, no, no. I, my spidey sense goes up <laughs> when I hear that now. Uh -huh. I learned that the hard way. Well, it was the hard way for you, too. Yeah. All right. So this next segment is called This Week's Cover. This Week's Cover. Each week I recommend... Uh, Randy song that is sung by someone else and this week we're going to do <laughs> lost the audio there this week's cover is feels like home by Bonnie Raitt Bonnie Raitt is song. a badass boss oh, chick too. she's the best all right Suzanne do you have anything you want to plug any projects or or, or, or websites or anything that you'd like people to know about um None yet. I am working on a blog blog combination um, that's going to be in the raw, as good as the sushi, but not in the buff. I think all of your listeners will get that. Um, <laughs> and um, so that's like going to be coming out. But I think the thing I want to plug the most right now is just be kind and live in the now normal and just if you can't find any good then call me <laughs> I'll help you find some and um, just know that things are okay it's not just that they're going to be okay they are okay there's a lot of good that's happening out there and we need to embrace all the good that's happening and we need to keep pushing and pushing to get more and more of the bad crap out of here um, and vote don't forget to vote <laughs> vote every election because guess what who your city council person is actually matters more to your life than who the president is who your sheriff is oh god yes matters who the a lot. sheriff is um, and go look at those all of the politicians and look at where they stood in this moment did they stand with black lives matter or did they not and if they didn't, vote the uh, jerkwads out. That's not a great term. <laughs> Sorry. Vote the bobo heads out. There we go. Bobo heads is a, a beautiful, oh, very useful word. Barbie sticks. I hate those bobo heads. <laughs> Suzanne, thank you so much for being our guest today. Aww. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
it for another week here at Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thanks to Matt Fraley for our theme song. You can find Matt's music at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Best way to reach Brian is on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music we're listening to right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. And I'm using it because it's public domain. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's what I do during the day. I am a water and sewer engineer. I'm registered in Oklahoma and Texas. I'll register in your state if you ask nicely enough. Most of what I do is small town water and sewer engineering, but I specialize in hydraulic modeling. I build computer models for water systems, and that can help you plan your water systems more efficiently, and it can also help you with your homeowner's insurance. If you're a city official, you need a water model. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634, and we would be happy to talk to you. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's Wheel of Rain.